in light of the grace of God, as a believer, how should light work on a daily basis? How do I apply that grace? And the reason this is important is because for many of us, we've lived a life of mixture. When I say mixture, this is what I mean by that. We all understand that by grace we are saved. I think everybody sufficiently established on that. But beyond being saved by grace, for many of us, we pick and choose how we apply that in our daily life moving forward. And because of that, we are not getting all of the results that we should get because we are saved by grace and sometimes we live under the law. And that mixture can never bring forth the desire that God has for us. So this morning, I want to talk about crisis your life. Uh, let's go to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. Now, I'm going to say some things in the course of this message that may be a little strange when you first hear it. But I just want to caution you to hear me out. Hear me out. Uh, when I throw out some things there, it may go against what you've been familiar with. But if you just be patient and hear me out, you'll see exactly where I'm coming from. Amen. Genesis 26 and verse 25. The Bible says, So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. That scripture, I know I have used it and I know many others have used that scripture to establish a particular pattern of approach to God. In other words, from that verse of scripture, we saw three things in Isaac's life. Three things. Number one, he built an altar. Okay? Secondly, he pitched a tent. And thirdly, he dug a well. And it's traditional, conventional teaching. From that verse of scripture, and I've used it, I'm saying this just truly. I want you to know, even me have used this. What we have done with this verse is use it to establish a pattern for daily living. And this is the way it goes. God first, because he built an altar. Family second, because he pitched a tent. And work third, because he dug a well. Did you see that? I said, do you see that? He built an altar there, altar, and called upon the name of the Lord, God first. And he pitched his tent there, a place of dwelling, family. And lastly, Isaac, servants, dug a well, work, ministry, career, business. So based upon this, you have God first, family second, work, and ministry next. And for a fact, this definitely was true for a season. I like this holy hush. I have your attention. 
But will this be true for today? God first, family second, work and business third. It stands very Christian. But I want you to know that God wants a lot more than this. And has given us grace for what he wants and desires. Huge. God, let me, let me throw it out now and just let's mess up this theology right off the bat. God is not looking to be first place in your life. Because for him to be first place means he can be second or third or fourth. Under the old covenant, it was fine. They had to build a physical altar. Go to the altar. The altar was the only means of them identifying with God. So there had to be a place, an altar. Amen? And they needed these things to help guide them on a daily basis. So today, God is not looking for me and you to put him in first place. Rather, rather, is looking to live his life through you. You're going to see the difference in a minute. He doesn't want to be number one. Because in, number one implies there's a number two. Number two implies there's a number three. Number three implies there's number four. So if you place him as number one on a good day, when you're not happy, you say, God, I demote you. You're number two tomorrow. No. He doesn't want any of that. And he made adequate provision so that you and I, under this dispensation of grace, will not have to make that kind of a choice. That is what is so liberating about this whole thing. It's absolutely mind-blowing. As you can tell, my mind is blown already. Amen? Now, please, I want you to understand what I'm saying here now. It was right in Genesis. It was right all through the Old Testament. It was right all through the life and ministry of Jesus up to the resurrection. They needed something. But unfortunately today, we are not living under the shadow, the substance is here. Those guys lived under the shadow. Some altar that pointed to the altar. But now we don't need that. The altar is in us. Huge. So again, the statement is, he doesn't want me and you to make him or place him number one, make first place in our lives. And I'm going to define that in a minute. No. No. In John chapter 14, John chapter 14, don't turn there necessarily in verse 18. What did Jesus say? He said, I will not leave you as orphans. Now, by John 14, he's beginning to prepare them for the dispensation of grace. He's talking to them now about impending arrival of grace. He opens that chapter by saying, let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God? 
believers with me. He tells them, I go to prepare a place for you. Please pay attention. That where I am, there you may be also. He is not talking about heaven. Because if all he's saying is heaven, what good is that for me today? I'm living through situations. I'm living, dealing through life now. You're telling me uh, 40 years from now when I go to heaven, Jesus will solve the problem. I'll be, mo- I'll be a man most miserable. But he said, where I am now, now, present tense, where I am now, there you may be also. In other words, where I am, you're going to be there as well. He's preparing them for grace. Then in John chapter 16, as part of that preparation, he says to them in verse 7, it is expedient for you that I go away. It is expedient for you that I go away. It's your benefit, your advantage for me to go away. For me not to be here with you. I need to go away. It is for your advantage, Don. Because when I go away, I will send another, a helper, in my name, in my stead. The only difference is this helper will not be limited to time and space as Jesus had been. Amen? Good. I think I have everybody's attention pretty much. So God doesn't want you and, my, and I to place him in a, in a uh, force in our lives. Rather, he wants to express himself through you. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God should be first place in your life? Don't answer, but I'm just throwing it there. Think about it. Do you believe he should be? Is that the mantra that you've worked on previously up to now? This notion, this mantra, that God must be number one, it must be first place. Is that the mantra that you've used to live your life up to now? If so, now you can answer this one. If so, how is it working for you? How is it working for you? Any takers? Anybody want to answer that question? You have your schedule. God is number one. You have to spend two hours a day, three hours a day, four hours a day, however many hours a day, even 15 minutes a day. Day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven days a week. You've placed him as number one. I'm asking you, how is it working for you so far? What's your success rate? Ah, nobody's answering. How successful have you been in prioritizing him over everything else in your life? How? How, 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 how well have you been successful? Anybody? Yes. 75%. 75%. Thank you very much. 75%. Anybody else? Anybody else? That's a high score in the, in the room. 75%. You did very well. My score was about 40%. I don't think we the same test. Oh, we didn't take the same test. Thank, thanks for your grace. <laughs> She's giving me grace. <laughs> no matter how often I read the Bible, how regularly I prayed and fast, I was not able to give God the proper place. 
namely making him number one on my priority list. Amen? Listen. We're in a new age, new dispensation. Grace has been given, but we need to understand what it means on a practical level, on a day-to-day basis. Amen? Amen? You may have heard the admonition to guard against distractions and to be careful not to let other things become more important or more of a priority than your relationship with God. The saying goes, make sure you keep God first place in your life. This sounds like wisdom. But in reality, hear me, it is a religious trap. I know people are really, want, I can see the look on your faces. Hey, this man, is he become a Muslim? <laughs> Absolutely not. I've become a lover of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. The saying goes, God first. How many people have heard that? God first, your family next, and your work next. Ha, please raise up your hands. How many have heard that? Not only have I heard it, I've preached it. This religious notion puts God on a list. And to be honest with you, that's insulting to God. The liberating thing this morning is that God doesn't want to be first place in your life. He wants to live and express himself through your life. Totally big, big difference. Now, here is the distinction. Here is the distinction. What people mean by putting God first place is that you prioritize Bible reading, prayer, and other spiritual activities above everything else. The implication, however, is that everything else other than prayer, Bible reading, fasting, evangelism, missions, everything else is worldly and therefore not as good as the spiritual things. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This mindset suggests that there's a division between the sacred and the secular. A distinction is made between what is spiritual and what is worldly. Give me my diagram. According to this mindset, your priority list should look like this. Thank you. You see that? On top there you have the sacred and below that you have the secular. The sacred means things pertaining to the spiritual and the eternal realm of God's affairs or related to religion. Those are the things we call sacred. And the things we call secular or worldly are things pertaining to the physical and temporal realm of man's affairs or not related to religion. Sacred and secular, and we, we divide them. Now, the sacred or spiritual category, we already said it, Bible, reading, prayer, church attendance, speaking in tongues, missions, 
But most people, people like me and you, most people, we spend our lives with our families, our friends, our work, our hobbies, our interests. 95% of the people who spend lives outside of the sacred box. 95%. So what does that make those people? Are they going to hell? Let me put it to us this way. To make a distinction between the spiritual and worldly is false and reveals a deep misunderstanding of the nature of a Christian. Ah, I need to take off my jacket. No, seriously. To call something sacred and others worldly or secular reveals a deep misunderstanding of who you are. That's what it reveals. Give me the second diagram. Practically, this is what we're saying. God is number one, which means all things sacred and spiritual. Then there's a line. Then my family, my work, and my hobby, all of those things are secular and worldly. Think about that. Number one, what makes an activity worldly? The nature of the activity does not define the activity. What defines any activity is the nature of the person. This is the deal. You and I are spirit beings. We possess a soul. Mind, will, and emotion. And we live in a body. Therefore, my brothers and my sisters, any activity you do because you are a spiritual being having a human experience, therefore, any activity you engage in is 100% percent spiritual. Let me, let, let's that, let, let that settle for a minute. Is it really? Absolutely. Are you telling me when Jesus went to the wedding at the king of Galilee, it was worldly? Hello. He didn't go there to preach. He attended a wedding for crowd loud. So was the son of God being worldly or secular when he went there? When he went to Zacchaeus' house to eat, to have dinner. How many verses of scripture did you read, did you read there? He just went to dinner. God had dinner. So what labels that activity? Is it the dinner or the person? So the point I'm making for us this morning is what makes something spiritual is not the nature of the activity but the nature of the person. You are a spirit. 
You have a soul. You live in a body. And because you are a spirit being, everything you do is spiritual. Oh, hear this and hear it loud. The who, your identity. The who determines the do, your behavior. The who determines the do. There isn't any activity you do today that isn't spiritual. Ah, so the next time you are changing diapers, remind yourself, I'm doing it for the glory of God. You will never get any more spiritual. Why change the diapers that you will when you're praying? Ah, I can see the religious, they are screaming. They are screaming. Yeah, you are still living in the Old Testament. That's why you are screaming. If a car mechanic spanner changing the spark plugs, cra, 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 you will not be any more spiritual while you are doing that than if you are fasting. Why? You are a spirit being, not just any spirit. God is the one changing this spanner through you. What I'm sharing is so liberating. This is the reason we are not seeing miracles happen. This is the reason we are not seeing spiritual encounters. Because we are living to put God first and therefore have a mindset that under certain conditions, God will give us an encounter. Whereas the opposite or the reverse is the truth. God wants you to be in a lifetime of encounter, not waiting for an encounter. But it takes a particular mindset to experience that. No, he doesn't want you to put him in first place so you can get mad with him tomorrow and demote him to second and third place. No. Rather, he wants to live his life through you. Every day, everywhere, all the time. Give me Colossians chapter 3. Verse 4 in Pastor Shina's translation. I'm going to know if, you're, if you've been coming to church. I won't tell you which translation it is. <laughs> I want to see if you're under grace. Give me Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 in Pastor Shina's translation. Ah! You got it. Grace unto you. Let me raise this. When Christ, like my guys from the south, let, 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 me, let me just go ethnic for a second. Please allow me. When Christ, you are real life. <laughs> when Christ, your real life. What is your real life? Who's your real life? That's our problem. We don't know who we are. You think Bank Akimala is the real life? That's just the shell. That's the bodysuit that Jesus is wearing right now. My real life is Christ. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth. No, give me verse 3. Verse 3. Ah, did you change this thing on me? Thank you very much. Verse 3. Now you are on it. Thank you. <laughs> Listen to what it says. Now, verse 4, verse 4 was good, but I, this is what I'm looking for. 
Your old life is what? Dead. Your new life. Which is your what? Real life. Even though invincible to spectators is with Christ in God. Full stop. Look at the next sentence. He, Christ, is your life. Can you believe that? Because if you believe what I, what I just read to you, your life will never ever remain the same. No matter what you are saying, no matter what they bring to you, it will never remain the same. You will have the ability within you to recreate your own environment. There must be a mindset change. This is truth. It is your life. And therefore, if it's your life, all of a sudden, the perspective changes from trying to make him number one. It was this French man. His name is Pierre de Chardin. This is what he says. He said, you are not a human being having a spiritual experience. Rather, you are a spiritual being having a human experience. That's powerful. That's powerful. So if Christ is your life, then you cannot put him in first place or second or third or for that matter. It's not possible. It can only be one thing. Your life expressed through you each day. So if that's the case, my next diagram, this is what should happen. This is what should happen. This is correct priority list. Instead of trying to make him number one, this is what happens. Christ is your life expressing your family. Every day. Christ is your life expressed at work. Every day. Christ is your life expressed in worship, in prayer, in Bible reading. Christ is your life expressed in your hobbies, your interests. When you're playing soccer, when you're playing the Super Bowl, if, you're, if you get that lucky, when you're playing tennis, whatever it is that you are doing, as long as you exist, you need to understand there's not a division between you and God. God is the inside of you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. No division, no distinction. So it's not just I'm for God, placing God number one, I wake up 4 a.m., I pray for two hours. So what happens from six to the rest of the day? So you pray for six, two hours in the morning. Okay, wonderful. Four to six a.m., you are, you are praying in tongues. We commend you for that. From six a.m. to next day, what are you doing? It's not number two, number three, number four. Are you making the case for not praying in the morning? No, that's not what I'm saying. Pray all you want. You should pray. It's a good discipline. But I'm just saying to you, this notion to think that you place him number one and put him in a box for a particular time and season of your life is wrong. That was Old Testament days. Oh my God, I don't want to go there. God had to literally not only give him an altar, he had to tell him when to come back in the day. And when you come, this is what you bring. He had to list it out for them. Why? They were like children. They were not supposed to know what to do, even though they were grown-ups. 
But for me and you, he said, I'll write it in your heart. When you go to work, I want to go to work with you. When you go to play, I want to play with you. When you're eating, I want to be eating with you. Oh, hear this? Even when you're using the bathroom. Even on your bathroom breaks, Jesus is there. He didn't check out. You see? We, 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 you talk about grace. You sing grace. You, I'm telling you the practical living out of grace. Now, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. We see Paul talks about how for me to die is game, but for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. He didn't say Christ is important to me. He said for me to live is Christ. Christ in you. Christ with you. Christ joined to you. And Christ present in all aspects of your life. So really, what we are doing under grace, we are raising the bar. Really, that's what it is. We are raising the bar. Rather than just saying, you know what, I'm going to put God first. And that becomes a hiding place. That's something you just, is a nice catchy phrase to just hide. God say, listen, listen, don't just put me first. No, I want to be everything. In your conversation with your wife, I want to be there. At work, talking to your boss, talking to your subordinates, I want to be there. In your business, while you're doing your, transacting your business, I want to be there. While you are eating, yes, I am in you. I want to eat with you, through you. I want to be there. Because it is in being everywhere with you, that I can get you to think like me, know me, and be able to, for you to fully represent him. What needs to happen for us to be able to live like this? Ah, let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Verse 20. See, the point here is there's no sense in comparing Jesus with other things and ranking him as number one. He isn't separate from all other activities. He's intimately involved in every part and moment of our lives. So the question now is, the question now is, in order to be able to live like this, the question is, are you aware of his indwelling presence? Are you intimately aware of his indwelling presence? That's the key. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Look at the last sentence. And lo! I am with you sometimes. I am with you when you're praying. I am with you when you're just reading the Bible. Always. Always means always. While you're praying, while you're reading the Bible, while you're fasting, while you're evangelizing, while you're eating, when you're joking, when you're working, whatever that work is, Jesus says to you, I am with you always. Do we have a recalling of this indwelling presence? That's the issue. 
when I renew my mind such as to recognize that wherever I am, under whatever the circumstance, that God is with me always. Can you take that? Do you really believe that? That when you're having an argument, Jesus is there? Can you really believe that? When you're commending someone that is there right there, that while you're writing an examination, that can be a means of your promotion, that Jesus is there? That when you're negotiating a contract, that Jesus is there? It's huge. Because your identity determines your, 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 your behavior. Your being, your identity determines your do. The who determines the do. What I'm saying is, Christ is there present 24 hours, 24-7. While you are asleep, he's there. How are we conscious? Are we, are we, are, are we aware of his indwelling presence? Hebrews 13 verse 5. Hebrews 13 verse 5. This is a game changer, folks. Game changer. Look at what it says. Hebrews 13 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. While you are doing that job interview, he is not going to leave you nor forsake you. While you are talking to your child who may appear to be rebellious for that moment, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. While you are praying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. While you are reading the Bible, I will never leave you nor forsake you. While you are playing soccer, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There is no caveat to this verse. He didn't say I will not leave you or forsake you except when you are A, B, C, D. He's there. He's here. He's with us. But if I'm trying to create a division between what I call sacred and secular, notice what I miss out. I've relegated him to only function in my life based on things that I call sacred. But 95% of my life is lived outside of that box. I have to engage with my family. I have to go to work. I have hobbies, interests, things I'm doing that is quote-unquote not spiritual or sacred. So if I have a division, what I've done is, I've said, Jesus, this is only your box. You engage me, Jesus, only while I'm praying, while I'm reading the Bible, while I'm fasting. But when I'm talking to my wife, stay out. When I'm at work, stay out. When I'm doing my hobbies, it's not your business. So we are only operating on one cylinder even though we have 12 available. Go drive a car like that from here to Orlando and see what happens. A 12-cylinder car that's only running on one cylinder. Find out how far you will go. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Jesus wants to liberate me and you. 
so that we can realize the fullness of the potential for the reason why you came. Don't limit him. Don't limit him. So we need to develop a sense of awareness, knowing that it's with you all of the time. That's the job. That's the work. That's the major issue. Developing that sense that is there all of the time. Now, let me close by going to what I call foot inspection. Foot inspection. You see, the mindset of sacred and secular creates a mindset that creates a division in my mind of what to do, how to live. And that false belief lead to certain actions or behavior. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If I'm living in this double-minded mindset of sacred and secular, rather than allowing God to live his life through me expressly, what happens is that thinking and belief system produces certain things. Number one, and this will help you look at where you are. If you believe there's a distinction between the spiritual and the worldly activities, as we call them, then you're going to bear some bad fruit. Bad beliefs produce bad fruit. Number one fruit you produce, feeling guilty. Feeling guilty or judging others or struggling with pride, all under number one. Feeling guilty, judging others, or struggling with pride. What do I mean by feeling guilty? So you said, you put God in a, in, a, uh, in a first place, and you said to yourself, you have a schedule that says, every morning, you're going to get up and pray at five o'clock. Every morning. Now, is that a good thing to do? Yes, it is. Absolutely. So I'm not debunking that. I'm saying it's a good thing to do. But where it becomes bad is the notion to think that because I've prayed at 5 o'clock in the morning, the rest of the day is free to do whatever I want to do. So the first day you wake up at 5.15, what do you think is going to happen? The enemy will say, did I not tell you? I told you this won't work. You couldn't do it. So by the time you go through Monday through Friday, you miss 15 minutes here. You miss 30 minutes here. One day you totally over, you just slept completely through. You, did, you are in a deep snore. Guilt. 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 Jesus has come. That there's therefore no condemnation or guilt to them who are in Christ Jesus. So for the rest of the week, you are struggling with God. Why? Because the enemy is screaming to you, you are a failure. The, this, we just spent one month out of 12 months. This is just January. You already blew it. You say you're going to pray at 5 a.m. every day. All January long, you didn't make it but five times. How do you think God is going to hear your prayer? You're finished. You're finished. The, your, your heart is condemning you. But, but you can't even go to God now because, wow, you made a promise, a commitment, you placed him number one, you couldn't even fulfill it. And if God helped you fulfill it, the opposite is just as bad. Now, you say, ha, I know myself, I got it, man. <laughs> Everybody, did you make it? Ah, no, you didn't make it. You only made three out of five days. I made it all seven days. You're in bad shape. You are judging other people. 
The first one is you are guilty because you didn't do it. But because you did it, now you are judging your brother who didn't make it. So you get in self-righteousness and self-pride. You are in trouble. God knew that the law was faulty. That's why he gave grace. So that's number one fruit. And I'm, I'm speaking there are some of us like that. Listen, it's not just a matter of placing God number one, number two. You hear about your brother or sister that fell in one sin. Ah, how can she do that? Immediately, you snap your nose and say, ah, ah. If they were fasting and praying like I was and reading the Bible, they would not have done that. You are self-righteous already. You have no idea where Jesus came. You have none. No idea. Because he that's spiritual, the Bible says, you restore your brother with a spirit of meekness. Because you recognize the same devil that got them is after you. The only reason you are standing is by the grace of God. Number two, bad fruit. Sense of failure or condemnation. When you tally up all your spiritual points, I'm going to read three chapters a day. I'm going to fast twice a week. I'm going to pray however many hours. I'm going to visit the homeless. I'm going to be in evangelism. I'm going to take two mission trips. You tally them all. And the devil will give you a pen and a nice paper so you can, you can do your addition and subtraction. By the time you tally it all up, I'm going to give God $10,000 this first three months. And you check your giving. You barely give $10. Ah! You failed. And the enemy will rub it in. God didn't ask you to do that. You took it upon yourself to put yourself under the law to do that. And when you do that, the law comes back to judge you. Sense of failure. First John tells you and I that if our heart do not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. All of these things are sent to erode your confidence. Number three, comparison and feeling of unworthiness. Start making comparison. Ah, this way Pastor Maria Janet prays, oh God, oh man. If I can just be like her, maybe I have a better chance. So you are looking at somebody else and you are judging your own life based on somebody else instead of Jesus Christ's pattern. When a lizard is crawling, you don't see the underbelly. All you see is the lizard crawling. You don't know what's hot in that lizard in the inside. So by looking at a man or a woman to make a comparison of the way where you be, it's foolishness. I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like Jesus. He's the perfect one. He's the model. He's the pattern. Now you can imitate me as I imitate him. But ultimately, he has to be the goal. The, the, now, number four here, this is really where it makes serious business. When I have this kind of division in my mind, number four, I'm unable to make a supernatural impact. This is where the enemy is robbing us of miracles. And supernatural encounter. Because you are limiting that to just when you are praying and fasting and reading the Bible. They interviewed this guy on TV. 
no, not TV, I'm sorry, on the internet, I saw it on the internet the other day, Elon Musk. This is the entrepreneur that's making this incredible cars called Tesla that PJ wants to buy one day. Amen. And they asked this guy, what is, where do you get the one idea that you can use to change the world? His answer amazed me. And that answer has been confirmed by others since then. You know what this guy said? He said, all he needs to do is just get in the shower. In other words, his inspiration comes while he's taking the shower. And then I talked to some other guys after that, and they said the same thing. I said, wait a minute, I need to take more showers. <laughs> now, why am I saying that? Believers will limit inspiration to praying, fasting, and reading the Bible. But I can tell you for a certainty how many times I'm driving down the road not even thinking about God and God drops things in my heart and I have to park the car so that I don't, jump, I don't have an accident. Why? I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age. Not just in your prayer time. Not just in your fasting time. Not just in your Bible times. I'm with you always. As long as you meditate on my inward presence. Bank, I'm able to drop something in your life that will not only change your life, but change your world. But we limit him. Christ wants to be your life. 24-7. Can you imagine a songwriter who limits God to be number one just when she's praying or he's praying and reading the Bible? All these songs you are hearing and singing to and dancing to, how many of them come in prayer time? I am trying to encourage us to please nurture and be empowered in the indwelling presence of God. It's already in you. It's there already. When you take him to work, God will speak to you about your co-worker, what they are going through, and what you should open your mouth to do and say, so that he can be glorified in this situation. But if you are not thinking about him, it doesn't come through. Because you are thinking it can only happen in church. No. Go read the Gospels. How many miracles did you just do in the synagogue? The very first one we know was at the party. Now think about that, you religious people. They ran out of wine at a party. No, it was not communion. No, no, no. It was not holy communion. No, 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 no. No, no. They ran out of wine at a party. And God, who created wine, was present in the house and on demand he reproduced more wine that they could ever drink and yes he was not afraid that they'll get drunk because if they got drunk you made them sober oh my god oh. Oh. i don't know i don't know i don't know that was his first miracle first miracle Went to the house of Simon the Pharisee to have dinner. Can you imagine? A prostitute, certified, bona fide, card carrying prostitute, <laughs> busted into Jesus' dinner party. 
Didn't ask the permission of the guest, of the host, rather. Started wiping his feet with her hair. My God anointed him down. And the religious, secular, secret thinking Pharisees said, uh -uh. if this man was a prophet, for sure he should know that this woman is a prostitute. How did he know? So, Mr. Pharisee was a sacred card-carrying Pharisee in public, in secret, was patronizing prostitutes. Because the woman did not announce herself to be a prostitute. But he knew. The Pharisee knew it. If he was a prophet, he ought to know that this woman is a prostitute. Jesus said, Abba, Simon, Simon, he who has been loved much, that's our problem. We have no appreciation of how much he's loved us. That's why we can't trust him. We have very little appreciation of his love for us. He or she that has been loved much, also do love much more. Create the atmosphere for Jesus to use you as an instrument for the supernatural. Lastly, and I close, lastly, last point, by having this divided mindset, we do not see our vocation as spiritual and valuable. By having this divided mindset, we do not see our vocation, our jobs, our professions as spiritual and as valuable. We just think it's a place to go and get a paycheck. No. That is your mission field. Pastor Mary prayed that this morning. That is your mission field. That's the field where God has you right now. That's where he wants to express the fragrance of his knowledge. For that period of time. Therefore, you should always be looking for opportunity to having conversations with Jesus. Jesus, who do you want to touch on my job today? Who needs to receive this fragrance that I'm carrying around? I mean, come on, folks. You spend all this money buying nice colognes and perfumes. I ask my wife all the time, can you smell me? Because if you can't smell me, I'm going to throw the thing away. I don't, what's, what's the sense in, in wearing cologne and perfume that nobody can smell? Huh? You're not supposed to smell it? Well, I need to smell it. I need, I need someone. Hey, listen. If I'm paying for it, somebody better be smelling it. Somebody better. Be, listen, if I walk in the room and I, uh, by the time I'm there for five minutes, I don't get any complaint. I mean, this smells good. Ah! That is replacement territory. The point I'm making is this if you are carrying a fragrance that's Christ, then you must be finding opportunity for that thing to be that first. Because the reason it's called a fragrance is because it should emanate from you and touch somebody else in a pleasant way. But if you don't see your jobs as an avenue for that spiritual impact, you're missing out on that. God help us. Not only has he given us grace, but we need to know how to use it. God does not want to be placed as number one or two, or three, or four, he wants to be everything. 
everything. He wants to express himself through your life. Your life has become the tool in his hand for the rest of the world to get to know who he is. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He said, yet not I, but Christ liveth through me. That's the point. Jesus, as we speak now, is living through you. Would you allow your next door neighbor, your friend, your family, your husband, your wife, your children, would you allow the Jesus in you to touch them? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible gift called Christ. Incredible. It's more incredible than we have words to express. That you will package yourself and come to live inside of us. That our body will become indeed your temple. And that the Christ, you in us, is the hope of glory. Lord, it is unbelievable. It is incredible. It is awesome. Nevertheless, we thank you that our mind will grasp this truth and be renewed by it. And we will allow this renewal to be the daily engagement with you. Not just by placing you number one or two or three or whatever the case may be, but God, that you will live out and express yourself completely through us in our families, in our workplace, in our hobbies, in our interest, in church, prayer, Bible reading, whatever it is that we are doing that we recognize that we are 100% spiritual at the same time be 100% natural. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you. Thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for the testimonies that will start coming back as a result of your liberation. Thank you, Father God. We bless you for it. We praise your name for it now and forever. In Jesus' name, everybody said,